From Triple J, it's the Take 5 podcast. The people you love, play five songs they love, and tell you why. Welcome back. I'm Zan Rowe, and every week I invite someone great in to pick five songs around a particular theme. Music soundtracks our life, and often triggers memories and moments that change the course of our lives for the better. Back in early 2015, I invited Paralympian, wheelchair tennis champ, and then Melbourne Uni Commerce student, Dylan Orcott, in to take five. I'd heard Dill here and there on the radio talking sport, but it was a fateful moment when I saw him crowd surf at the Meredith Music Festival that I realised what a massive music fan he was. It was the first time we met, but it wouldn't be the last time we'd hang out. Dill has this infectious quality about him. He makes you feel pumped up just having a chat with him. And you can see why he's asked to give motivational speeches all over Australia. This is a guy who takes life by the horns and gives it a good shake. I gave him the theme, Songs for Smashing It. Sport has been a huge part of Dylan Orcott's existence. But given he was in to take five, I asked him if music played as big a role. Yeah, without a doubt, I think sport was uh, one of the first things that I got into, but I couldn't always play sport until I was, you know, probably about 10 or 11 years old. And I actually was a choir boy when I was a kid before I did really? sport. Yeah, and I also um, I also played the drum kit. Um, Michael Barker, who was the drummer from the John Butler Trio, he was uh, the drum teacher at my school. Oh, so wow. So I also tried the kit when I was young. It was a bit hard having no foot pedal, though, to be honest. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so I kind of gave that away after a while because it was pretty tough. But, uh, yeah, so I've always been big into my music. And I think it's now that I do play sport, it's definitely my big, my, my one release, really. I do really enjoy festivals and getting around as much live music as I can. And it's something that I definitely enjoy. Do you use it as in, I guess, recorded music as a motivator when you're training or just before hitting the court as something to fire you up? Have you got the, the earphones in? Yeah, definitely. Especially when I go out in the tennis court, I don't want to, I don't want to tell what I'm about to play throughout the five songs. But there might be a bit of mention of that because we definitely do, and it's about just trying to concentrate on what you do. And the the best way to do that is block out the surroundings, the crowd, the the opposition in the change room, that kind of stuff. So I definitely do listen to tunes before I get out there, and yeah, I find it really helps me. Beginning with Bomb Funk MCs, Freestyler. Why did you choose this one, Dylan? Look, this was one of the first tunes that really uh, got, got me into music as such. I remember I was about 10 or 11 years old and I was really lucky that my uh, my old man, he worked for a skate company and he was overseas in America and he came back uh, to Australia with the present for my brother Zach and I and he got us a, a mini disc. So that was like in between, you know, cause the, the, the Walkman and then the MP3 player and we had these mini discs and we were uploading heaps of tracks on there and then this song came out and I'm sure everyone's seen the film clip with the young guy with dreadies and he's got the control that <laughs> controls what people do. Anyway, he's using a mini disc and I thought that just, I just thought I was the coolest guy <laughs> in the world to be honest. And my old man had got me a mini disc and I love this jam and then that came out and I think I love a lot of different music but when I was, you know, t- 11, 12 years old, I absolutely love this song. I c- cannot tell you how much I loved it back then and every time it comes on at a party or something like that, everyone knows that it's such a classic jam and uh, I, th- I, th- I strongly recommend everyone going onto YouTube and checking out that film clip. Let there be a lesson when 
This is Take 5 with Dylan Alcott. song uh when i was growing up uh i wasn't always you know the crowd surfing paralympic medalist kind of guy that everyone knows me as and i was having a really tough time at school probably when i was in about year eight or nine i mean growing up with a disability can often be pretty tough and i know there's lots of kids out there that are doing it very tough and it was kind of this song it was actually my myspace song remember myspace you have a jam on your myspace this was my this was my myspace song for a while and this kind of resembled when i kind of started getting over the fact that i was in a wheelchair i remember uh I kind of had a lot of mates, but I never really got invited to many parties and that, and it was kind of tough for me. I was, I went through a, a bit of a, a crappy time, but I ended up realizing the only reason I, I wasn't getting invited was not because they didn't like me, but just because they didn't think I could get in their house or something like that. And I mean, the wheelchairs these days, you can get upstairs and you can get carried up things very easily. And I remember that was kind of a turning point in my life where I started to get a lot more confident in everything that I do, my schooling, my sport going out there, having a lot more friends and that kind of stuff. And, yeah, this song kind of resembled it. I remember it was getting played a lot at house parties back then. And, yeah, as I said, I used to listen to it. And I was trying to think back of a song that reminded me of that time. And my mate Scott said it to me the other night. I was like, that is exactly the song that I was thinking (laughs) of. So there you go. You did pretty well at school. You graduated as a head prefect at Brighton Grammar School and obviously you had a great sporting career ahead of you but do you feel as though that shift of feeling accepted in social groups and that shift that you talk about in in that period really helped everything in your life that before that there was something that didn't quite click? Yeah for sure I think definitely and I think the biggest thing that I realized is not that you need to be accepted by everyone. That's what I was always trying to do. And when you're at school, kids can say some dumb things and that. And I realized that for what, you know, which is to this day, it doesn't matter if you've got a disability or you're, you know, the Brad Pitts of the world. Really, if you, for everyone, you know, dickhead or some idiot that gives you a hard time or for every one thing that you can't do, there's 10,000 other things that you can do and 10,000 other legends that you'd much rather spend your time with. And I realized that if somebody said something that was, you know, bad towards me, really, who cares? Because that's their loss. So I just started getting on with life. And from that day on, I've, I've always had this really confident outlook and really happy outlook on my life. And I mean, if I could eat a magic pill and walk again, you could not pay me enough to do it because I live without a doubt the best life out of anyone in the world. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be me. And I think that was one of the turning points for sure. You share that positivity with so many people as well as being a, a great uh, ambassador for disabilities, for people who have disabilities, who are not as able-bodied as others, and as being, you know, I guess a, a sporting hero around the country and around the world. You're a motivational speaker as well, and you visit a bunch of people um, all over the country and talk to them about your life, about your experiences. What's your main message when you go in front of crowds and speak to them? What do you really want to convey? Well, I think especially when they're not, when they're, they haven't got disabilities, it's 
The biggest thing about my life is everyone, you know, you're going to go through a lot of a lot of bad things. And I've, I've been very lucky. I was uh, born with a tumor on my spinal cord, which was cut out when I was only like a week old. And I, I didn't really get out of hospital till I was three and a half. And oh, wow. I didn't, they didn't think I was going to, you know, be doing what I'm doing, you know, not being able to sit up in a chair, let alone, you know, Paralympic medals and just being a normal member of society and that kind of stuff. So to come through something like that, I think... It really changes your outlook, even though I was young and I don't remember. I'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And for everyone is going to go through bad times and hard times and things going to go wrong, whether you lose your job or your girlfriend or a partner dies or something like that. It's it's horrible things, but we're all lucky to be here doing what we're doing. And um, I, you've just got to do, you know, take the best of the opportunities that you got. And that's what I do. I mean, I can't get upstairs. I'm not kidding myself and I'm never going to be able to walk again, but the amount of things that I get to do that other people can't do is is incredible. And all the opportunities that I've had and all the traveling the world and all that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm blessed to be doing what I'm doing. And I've just kind of made the most out of my situation, which is what I hopefully can share with everyone else because, uh, yeah, life's very fun if you really get out there and have a crack. Jurassic 5 is the next choice you've got for us, Dylan. What's golden this tune? Why'd you pick this one? Well, I think if you were to ask me what my genre of choice is, it's definitely hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my brother, my brother Zach, he when you know, I was back when I was on my mini these days, I was listening to a lot of Pete Murray and that kind of stuff. And then he kind of introduced me to uh, to hip hop through guys like Atmosphere and Aesop Rock and that kind of stuff, and also old school hip hop like Nas and A Tribe Called Quest and all that kind of those guys back in the nineties. And yeah, whenever I'm driving in my car, I'm listening to hip hop and. This song, I'm actually, uh, I'm very lucky that with my, you know, job, well, it's not even a job, it's, it's my life. Tennis is, de- traveling the world playing tennis is definitely not a job, it's very easy. But uh, I get to do a lot of travel and I try and always back end every trip with a week here and there, wherever I am, and try and see some live music. And I actually saw J5 at Coachella in 2013. Oh, nice. And these blokes just absolutely ripped it. And they hadn't had a show in 10 years. And they were dancing, and they're like 50 years old, they were dancing and finishing each other's uh, lines and all that kind of stuff. But... This was the last song in uh, in 2008 at the Beijing Paralympics. I was 17 and I was rooming with one of the best players in the world, Justin Everson. And before we left the room, every before every match, we listened to this song, What's Golden by J5. And uh, yeah, it's got great memories for me. And uh, Charlie Tuna, who has the last verse where he goes, it's the verbal Herman monster. Yeah. You hear it now. That is one of the, my favorite verses in hip hop. And he's just got... He's got the best voice I've ever seen. He's so good, Charlie Tuner. So, uh, yeah, I've loved this jam ever since I was I was younger. And then it, it really reminds me of the Beijing Paralympics. And to, to be able to win a gold medal at the seven at the age of 17, I think I was the youngest guy ever to win a wheelchair basketball gold medal in history. So this song reminds me of that. It was a huge achievement for me. And, and I'm uh, I, I definitely, whenever I think back on it, I, I really do love this track. We'll take it back to the days of yes, We're holding on to what's golden. Sycophony mobsters controlling the dance floor. I'm in them dark places, catch you when you stark naked. Your heart races as we poke you for your chart spaces. The taunt tastes me bringing these hot styles through. Some of you bum a few cheers from shock thou. You word power can plow through acres of cornfields. Paragraphs cut like warm steel, perform ill. We're not falling, we're taking back to the days of yes, Sean. We're holding on to what's golden. Take five with Dylan Alcott.
it's just a great jam, I reckon. And uh, Dixon, the guy that does the remix, he's, he's a weapon. He's one of the best <laughs> DJs I've ever seen, without a doubt. And I, back in 2013, um, I retired from basketball. I loved basketball and everything that it gave me, but I was just a bit over it and, and needed to do something new. So I went backpacking around the world um, or with a few mates, but pretty much by myself some of the times for about seven months and did a lot of festivals. Yeah, I went to Coachella, uh, Jazz Fest. Saw Mos Def and Eric Gabardu in New Orleans, and then I went to Europe and I went to uh, Melt Festival and also Hideout. Oh, awesome. This this song, I remember I had just one of those moments where I was just so content with life. I think it was either Sunset or Sunrise, you can decide which one, and Dixon was playing playing at Hideout, and I was with my mates Dom and, and Guy, and this was the last song that he played at the end of his set, and I just remember just absolutely loving what I was doing with my life. And I'm so glad that I made that choice to, to do something new. And I mean, backpacking around the world in a wheelchair is very hard work, but it was one of the best experiences ever. And I've loved, um, I've loved house music ever since I was about 18, 19, when a few mates started DJing and, and playing vinyls and that kind of stuff. And yeah, these days I'm, I'm, I'm pretty all hip hop and then a bit of definitely some house and techno and that kind of stuff as well. So I thought this, this song really represents it well. You've come a long way from just playing folk music on your mini disc player is what was, you're saying. I was going to say, just sitting there <laughs> singing Banana Pancakes by Jack Johnson. <laughs> Just to anyone that would listen. So uh, I really, I think I've, uh, I think I've graduated well. It's interesting talking about access and I guess most recently the sad passing of Stella Young caused a lot of people to talk about what she did as an ambassador for people who weren't able-bodied and how she really encouraged, you know, the events that people who are able-bodied take for granted saying, hang on a minute, you need to put it in a venue where we can access it. For you, going to countries outside of Australia, Europe and beyond, how did you find it getting around and, and different countries, I guess, uh, approach to making things accessible, particularly those older countries where there's lots of stairs, lots of old monuments and maybe not the lifts and elevators that you need to get around? Yeah, look, it's really hard work, something that we definitely take for granted, I think, in Australia. We're very lucky with the accessibility. But even places like New York, which is, you know, one of the – well, the capital of the whole world, basically, every fifth station is not accessible. And then yeah. You, uh, uh, sorry, is, is only accessible. And you get there and the elevator's not working, you're kind of stuck on the platform and that. But, look, I'm very lucky that I've got a manual chair and, and I'm pretty strong and I have no problems with asking for help in life. If, if you need help, just ask someone. And I reckon 99% of the time they're going to say yes, without a doubt, with whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, I get carried upstairs. I've also got uh, the you know the best mates in the whole world, and everyone always asks me about the crowd surfing, and I just sit up there and get all all the praise. But they're the ones that are picking me up, you know. And uh, I think I think when you travel around the world, it, it is really hard work, but that's what makes it awesome, and that's what makes it rewarding. And I, I mean, I had some crazy stories. Like I got mugged in Chicago, lost my wallet. Um, like just incredible. I, I found two and a half thousand dollars in a talk. What to- asshole toilet. mugged you? That is such a low yeah, act. Yeah, three dudes in Chicago, but I was in. I found. I went into a disabled toilet, and there was two and a half grand in a in a plastic bag. Like two weeks later in Dallas. And oh my god! I tried to hand it in, but they just said you can you can have it. Like we don't know whose it is, and then that was it. So then everything works out for a reason, doesn't it? That's but, karma. Um, I was going to say definitely. <laughs> Who leaves two and a half grand in a disabled toilet in plastic bags? Someone doing something dodgy, I think. I want to. Um, I want to get to the crowd surfing thing in just a minute because um, there's a, a wonderful tale that I'm excited about sharing with anybody who hasn't heard it or reminding of you of it if you have. But you just mentioned that you retired from basketball uh, playing about you know a year ago. Went backpacking for seven months and then you've returned to tennis. How long is that part of your sporting life going to run for? Are you planning on on playing sport for a while? 
Look, I think I really want to go to the Rio 2016 Paralympics. Um, there hasn't been many people, able-bodied Olympic or Paralympic, that have won two gold medals in two different sports. And I think it would be an incredible achievement to do that. Yeah. So that's that's definitely the goal. And then I think after that, I've been an athlete since I was 14, 15 years old. And I'm, I'm getting on now, the ripe old age of 24. So um, <laughs> I really want to do some other things. And I, I actually really want to work in the media, whether it's radio or, or hosting on, on television. I think... Uh, First and foremost, I'd enjoy it and I'd be good at it. But also just to just to kind of change that perception of people with disability. I don't know why there has never been so many talented people. I think Stella started it, but, you know, in front of the camera or behind the microphone a lot more, not even talking about disability all the time or all their sport, talking about, you know, sex or politics or music or whatever it is. And I would absolutely love that because when I was a kid having a rough time at school, if, you know, I saw a dude in a wheelchair on TV, you know, interviewing uh, you know, ASAP Rocky or something like that. That that could be me doing that. You know, that 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 could be me. And if I can inspire kids to do that, uh, I would love to. And I think yeah, it'd be a good life. And I'll uh, I'll have to get some tips off you, Zan, because you are <laughs> the queen of radio. I'm not gonna lie, I've been fanboying you for years, so it is an absolute honour to be here chatting. But uh, yeah, I would absolutely. Uh, that's what I really want to do. And if uh, I think I think that would be a good time to. To hang it up, who knows? I might end up to keep playing tennis, but I think that's definitely the next goal in my life. Well, clearly you're going to smash it no matter what you do. You're obviously very good at being able to communicate with so many different people. You love music and Dylan Olcott, I think, was born to smash it. We're going to finish with a final tune that I guess soundtracks an experience that happened only a couple of months ago. I was in the crowd watching this. I didn't even realise it was you, Dylan, until I saw it a couple of days later pop up on YouTube. But the moment was incredible. So walk us through it. Tell us the context of you at the Meredith Music Festival and what were you actually doing just a day before as well? Yeah, well, so in December I decided to play tennis for 24 consecutive hours nonstop uh, to raise $100,000 for the Starlight Foundation and Variety, the children's charity. Um, Starlight gave me a wish when I was a kid, when I was depressed at school and pretty sick, to go away with my family. And Variety gave me my first ever tennis chair, so... Without them, I don't think I'd be the person I am today. And I ended up raising the $100,000. I broke the world record, played for 24 hours in a row. It was brutal. I cannot tell you how hard it was near the end. But I went home, had a sleep, and then I got up and went to Meredith Music Festival. God. Which is without doubt the best music festival in the whole world. I love Annie Meredith. Meredith. She's a beautiful lady. And uh, I went there. Now, ever since I was a kid, uh, the Wu-Tang Clan has been my favorite artist in the whole world uh yeah i just absolutely love wu-tang ever since i was a kid i played them that 36 chambers is just the favorite album of my life yeah and obviously um ghostface was playing at uh at meredith and he asked someone to get up and do the method man verse out of protect your neck um also on a side note protect your neck is the last song that i listen to every time that i play tennis oh wow so when, <laughs> when i went out on the australian open final protect your neck this is ever since i was young so this wasn't just after this but uh so I knew the words and he, some guy got up there and it's pretty scary. They stand, he, st- he stood over you and he yells at you. He's like, you know the lyrics, you know the lyrics. And a couple of guys before me kind of choked up and didn't get the opportunity to do it. And then I got, I crowd surfed from like 50 meters back in my chair, got up there. He kind of stood over me and said, you sure you know it? And I said to him, mate, which verse do you want to do? I'll do all seven if you want, <laughs> which was probably a bit ambitious, but I really wanted to do it. And then I got up there and got the mic and my, my mates that um, crowd surfed me up there with my brother, they, they were like, yeah, we know Dylan likes attention, but what is he doing? Like, can, he's I just, gonna... can I pause it here for a second? Because I actually have the grab of you rapping. Oh, have you got it? Uh, there you go. Now, I, like I said, I didn't know it was you jumping up there. I just thought it was some dude who's gotten up there and then you 
you're right. The guys before you didn't do the best job of what they were doing with their verses. And you just smashed it. Here's what happened on stage at Meredith Music Festival. And you can hear as soon as you start, everyone just lost it and the whole crowd was just filled with joy. It was such an incredible moment and I'm with you. Meredith is absolutely one of my favourite places in the world and has been for years, but there's always those moments of Meredith and that was one of those moments. It was just spine tingling. What was it like up on stage for you? I got My heart's racing. I get tingles every time (laughs) I see that video. And it was incredible. Like uh, my mates and the whole crowd was silent. Like re- realistically, what is this guy in a wheelchair doing? He's going to be. It's going to be so embarrassing. Like why is this guy doing this? And then as soon as I did that first two lines, like if the method man for short, Mister Meth, the whole crowd went, "Oh my god, he knows it!" And you should have seen Ghostface his face. Ghostface looked at me like. He actually knows it. And they normally try and help you. He just kind of put the mic away and just let me rip the whole thing. And uh, it was it went by too quick. I wish I could do it again. And, well, I actually, he actually, I went backstage after and everyone was like, oh, what gangster stuff did you do with ghosts? Like, you know, I was like, I actually asked for an ice pack and iced my wrist <laughs> from the 24-hour tennis. And then through your awesome radio station, Ghostface, he was interviewed the next week and he talked about that experience that he had with me on stage for like five minutes and he reckoned it was one of the best things he's ever had on stage and he got my number through Triple J, gave me a call and he asked me to come back at the ESPY and, and do it again. So I did it I did it a second time at the ESPY. Oh, that's and so now, good. I've actually got his phone number because I'll be playing in the US Open in, in Manhattan or in Flushing Meadows in Queens and he said, man, please, whenever you get there, text me and he reckons him, Raekwon, Methaman are going to come watch me play in the US Open so could you imagine my dad <laughs> my girlfriend my coach your brother just, your brother's brother, gonna freak and then just half of Wu-Tang Clan just <laughs> sitting there in Carhartt gear just like looking gangster as watch you play tennis and like I, I don't know who your favourite artist in the world is and in your whole life but Wu-Tang is it for me so to get that opportunity and I think you tweeted me this which is like the definition of like standing up in the moment and ripping it because I don't rap. I would love to be able to rap one day. I've been, I really actually want to be able to do it. And I've got a few good mates like Remy. Remy's a good mate of mine, so he's killing it these days. So I might get some tips. But um, to be able to do that at that moment and not stuff it up was probably the most proud I've ever been in my life. And my brother, I won the Australian Open. And after the 24-hour tennis, he said, you can play tennis for 48 hours. You can win 10 Australian Opens. I don't care. That was the proudest he's ever been of me in his whole life. <laughs> was when I wrapped that verse. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty, was a pretty cool moment. And everybody that helped me get up on stage, I crowd surf from so far back, thank you so much. And for everyone at festivals that always help people with disabilities get around, it's guys like you that I get that opportunity. So, uh, yeah, without a doubt, the be- honestly, I love this round open. I love winning gold medals, but that was probably the best moment of my life. It was pretty incredible. Heavy metal, the way I make the crowd go wild. Sit back, relax, won't smile. Ray got it going on, pal. Call me the rap assassinator. Rugged and built like Schwarzenegger And I'ma get mad deep like a threat Blow up your project Then take all your assets Cause I came to shake the frame in half with the thought
fucks that bomb shit like math so if you want to try to flip yo flip on the next man cause i'll grab the clip and hit you with 16 shots and more i got going to war with the melting pot it's the method man for short mr map move it on your left ah, and set it off get it off let it off like a gat i want to break food cop me back small change they putting chain in the game i take game and blow that nigga out the frame and like bang my fella live forever niggas crossing over like they don't know no better but i do true can i get a soul enough respect due to the one six ooh i mean oh yo check out the phone like the hudson or pcp when i'm dusting niggas off because i'm hot like sauce the smoke wu-tang clan winding out dylan Orcutt's take five and his songs for smashing it I still get shivers whenever I hear that Meredith story, and it makes me so happy that Dill is now part of the Triple J family, presenting weekend arvos and talking sport throughout the week on Triple J Breakfast. If you loved that, tell a mate or subscribe if you haven't already. The Take 5 is as much about the stories as the songs, and every week someone else will begin to share theirs. Next time, we're hanging out with the pizza guy. Touch Sensitive, playing you visionary songs. Hey, this is George Maple. Hey, this is Nick Murphy. I'm Rose Matafeo. I'm Taken 5. Hey, this is Jake from Methyl Ethel. Hi, guys. Kate McCarthy from the Brisbane Lions. This is Joshua Hami. Hey, this is Wafia, and I'm Taking 5 with Sam. The Take 5 podcast. The people you love play five songs they love and tell you why.